up tonight.
praise the Lord right now. The earth is filled with his glory. I feel his presence here tonight. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand praise right now. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. We're happy to have the Dan Fleming family with us tonight. All the way from Iowa. up here and give us a little word of testimony. When he came in tonight, he said, I, I said, uh, you might testify a little bit tonight. He said, I'll be happy to do it. He said, all right, you're teaching him. <laughs> well, we're just happy that you're here. We're with the family. The Fleming District of Iowa carries a heavy responsibility not only as a pastor, but also for the church. Amen. Well, it's great to be in Cincinnati. Really, I've been on vacation. was reading John chapter 14 the other day, and I just wanted to leave this with you. It just starts out by saying these words, let not your heart be You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told and that's as far as I got in my Bible reading that morning. You know, there's some things God doesn't tell us. How many of you know that? There's some things you wish God would tell But aren't you thankful when you need to know? God knows when you need to know. Amen. And I'm just here to tell somebody tonight, and I really believe this was for me in my devotion, but I think it's for someone who God has the ability to tell you when you're going through something. And what I love about this scripture is Jesus said, you know what? The one thing God won't keep from you is hope. If you need hope in your life, amen. God's able to speak hope into your life. I'm, I'm just thankful I'm in church. I feel the presence of the Lord here in just a, just a very sweet, kind of wonderful way. Amen. And I believe if you need something from the Lord tonight, this is the place to hear something from the presence of the Lord. Amen. Tonight. Amen. So the Lord bless you real good. Brother Enos, we love you. We're looking forward to a great lesson. Amen. Everybody said praise the Lord. Amen. We count on the privilege to be here. Appreciate our pastor and his family. We give honor to them. Uh, they are on a vacation also, and a, a, a well-needed rest. Anytime a person throws his back out from not working but from preaching, 
he needs to take a little time off. So I don't uh, begrudge them that in any way at all. And the fact that we love this family very dearly. We also appreciate the Word of God that comes from my pastor and your pastor. Thank God for His hand upon our church, for this church, for the truth that's preached across this Bible desk. And I don't think it's likely to be speaking or teaching in the place of the pastor. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak tonight. I kind of feel like a, a rushing sword. But I know that was the every time and a lot of these young preachers would get an opportunity to do it. And so they're kind of taking a break tonight, too. So we'll let them do that one more time. If you'll turn with me to the Word of God tonight, I want to look at, uh, ask you to turn with me to Ephesians, the third chapter. this in your hearing. And actually, I will uh, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, and himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you are also built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now verse 1, chapter 3. For this cause, for the cause of the church, because of Jesus Christ, he said, I call prisoner of Jesus Christ and you jump on not only does he say it there, but he continues on with that thought. He chapter. He said, I therefore, in prison, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. I'd like to spend a little time tonight talking about prison. Paul has always interested me. Because here was a man that had a single sister. And when the going got tough, he was tough, he got going. He did not let affliction or oppression. In fact, he didn't even let prison slow him down. He calls himself in the sixth chapter. He calls himself an ambassador in bonds. And one of the translations says he's an ambassador. In change. As I was preparing for this uh, lesson tonight, I had thought about calling Brother Terry Chastain and see if he couldn't get, get me a, a prisoner outfit to wear. And I was going to shuffle up here in, in chains and, in, and try to teach you. But then I thought maybe that would be that, um, just a little too much. Maybe some of you would be calling the deputies to take me away after I was done. But you know, Paul was a preacher of the gospel, but he did end up as a 
as a patient for a while. In fact, through the timeline of his life, we find that he actually spent almost five years as a prisoner. And I don't know where you were five years ago, but you think back five years ago and then consider yourself from that point in time to where we are tonight. If you were incarcerated, maybe out here in Lebanon Penitentiary, there's a prisoners there, there that's a crime. That's a long period of time and mobile without They have time to think about why they are where they are and how they need to really examine their lives. And if they're away from God or if they need God, there is an opportunity for them to hear the truth of redemption and forgiveness of sins. That Jesus' blood is just as effectual there as it is down here at the altar. And uh, a lot of them have a lot of time to think. Sometimes they become sorry, some of them become bitter. They look around to where they are and realize that their liberty and their ability to do or go what they do what they want to do is no longer theirs and and they have to deal with some of them with a very guilty conscience. And this conscience can cause them to actually get into deep depressions and anger and hostility. Many of them then become very open to the Word of God, and so they go out there and they have services in that penitentiary. And I don't know if you've ever gone to a penitentiary. Uh, when I was traveling on deputation, I had heard that one of my high school friends had done something, knowing Jim Locke, he probably shot somebody. And he was in uh, a very strong, highly secured prison up in Michigan City. And uh, I had heard in my travels that he was there. And so I went by that prison and found out that you had to put in an application. And then they have to approve it and they check you out. So when I talked to the warden and one of his people, I said, look, I'm just traveling through. I was in high school with this man. I'm now a missionary. I'm a preacher. And if there's some way that I could see him, I'd like to see him. They broke all the rules. They can break the rules when they want to. <laughs> and so they actually got me into that place. I remember going through all the different uh, doors, and they unlock them, the keys and everything. And then they come to find out that the gem lock that they had uh, in that facility, he had already been released, and the, the man they wanted to bring me was a different gem lock. Well... I didn't get to see him, but I got to see inside of a penitentiary, and I'm glad to be here tonight. I think of some of the prisoners that I have met in my lifetime. The head of the church in Hungary, Brother Horvath, he's now passed on. During the days of communism, the communists had come. They would take him in. They would torture him. They threw him in the prison. They beat him unmercifully, and uh, for numbers of years, he, he was in the prisons there in Hungary. 
And uh, finally, they, they released him. Years later, after communism fell, the government came uh, as representatives at one of their national conferences, and they apologized for the, for the government, for the way, the communists, for the way they had treated him. You know, if we be faithful under heavy things like being imprisoned and being beaten, God will make it right. God knows where we are in our lives. He doesn't forget about us. And uh, I think of Brother Thomas Balsa, who was in the country of Yugoslavia, and they did the same thing to him. And I sat, I've sat in his room, or rather his home, and talked to him at some of the things that they've endured only because they were preaching this gospel and uh, that we love so much. And, uh, of course, Communism fell in Yugoslavia. The socialists came in behind them. But there's a great church in Yugoslavia today because these people who endured prison kept their faith in God. God honored their faith, honored their ministry. And there are people in the church today in Yugoslavia that love God because of people like this. Some people never really adjust in a prison. They get into deep depression. Uh, they develop high levels of hostility and anger. And, you know, sometimes we can be prisoners of ourselves in our minds with the same kind of things. But uh, Paul was not that kind of a person. God, uh, Paul had a different mindset. He looked at himself in prison, and he thought of himself as an ambassador in chains. He was not really concerned about the fact that his freedom was uh, kind of hindered and he couldn't go where he wanted to, but he made the best of the situation and uh, he, he uh, continued to preach. He continued to do the things that God had called him to do. In fact, he considered himself an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? I think we talked about that one message several times ago. Ambassador speaks the words of his government and his president, and he doesn't change him one iota. And when you read the when you read the, the, the writings of Paul, he only spoke those things that God had given him. He was called of God. The Lord spoke to him on four different occasions. He received the revelation of one God. And when you look at this man, Really, he was the greatest of all the apostles because he had a great understanding of the truth of one God, that he came in the flesh, and that uh, he gave his life at Calvary and became our atonement and became the offering for sin to make a way for us to get rid of our sin. And he explained the gospel so well. In fact, he opened up the Old Testament. It didn't happen overnight. He had... After he received, uh, he, he received uh, the vision there on the road to Damascus, he, he had to think about that. And he went into the desert for three years and wrestled with the things of God and looked at the Old Testament and tried to figure out where, where all this figured out. And... Uh, the next thing we know, he came out and he became a preacher. In fact, he had a hard time because he was out hauling people off 
to jail and putting them into prison because that they were believers. But uh, his time that he spent in Antioch, uh, God was using him there. How, but how did he get, get to, to the prison there in Rome? Let's, let's do a little background. He went to Jerusalem at the end of his three missionary journeys. And while he was there, he was falsely accused. And, of course, his, uh, his Jewish family members and all, uh, they falsely accused him. And he was hauled off to Caesarea to stand before the king. And he spent two years in prison there. And I don't know if you think about it, prisons that we have today, I think they're probably air-conditioned from what I saw. And they're pretty well taken care of. Uh, the prisoners are. But the prisons back then didn't have air conditioning. The heat in that part of the world gets up above 100 degrees and without air, without, without any fans. I don't know if I could endure that. But this did not change his desire to love God and to serve him, even under these excruciating conditions. And so he he was there for, for two years, and he had a trial. He had a second trial. And the fellows that uh, the, the chief priests and all came up to Caesarea, and they stood before uh, King Agrippa and all. And when they, they decided after this judgment that there was nothing really that he had broken any Roman laws, that this was a religious thing. And so they were going to release him to these people. Well, they were going to, if he had been released to, to these Jewish people, he would have been killed. And so Paul stood there and said, wait a minute, I am, I'm a Roman citizen, and I appeal my case to Caesar. So that meant that he had to be shipped off to Rome. And, of course, there was a number of things that happened. But when he got to Rome, he was, uh, he was a prisoner there for about four years. And this was nothing new to him. Sometimes we think, well, this is the first time he experienced a, a prison experience. But if you look at 2 Corinthians 11th chapter, he had been involved in a lot of suffering in his preaching of the Word of God. Now, the Corinthians was uh, written way before he went to Rome. And uh, it gives a, a little rendition of the the opposition and the, the suffering that this man had gone through. It says here, he says, In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, and in deaths oft. You know, we seem, we don't realize that a lot of things that happened to Paul is not really recorded. We really don't know. People don't know where you are, what's happening in your life. But the Lord knows where you are. And so this was recorded. And he says, of the Jews, five times I've received 40 stripes save one. In other words, he got 39 stripes. Because they kind of figured out that if we gave a person 40 stripes, that would be, that would be the last stripe that they would get. It would kill them. So he ended up getting beaten 39, or five times with 39 stripes. I don't know if I could even take one stripe. I think I'd have to. You would. However, he did this because he was taking a stand for the Almighty God. And God knew where he was. And <clears throat> says here, 
three times he was beaten with rods. Now that would be like beaten with sticks, like a rod. And uh, several years ago in Indonesia, they had a man who was punished, and he was he was to be hit with three with a rod three times, and there was a big a big cry and and uh, opposition to that. So they reduced it by one rod, and they smacked the guy twice. Well, he didn't walk away from being hit with a rod twice. They carried him off in a stretcher. But here we see Paul says, I was beaten three times with rods. He said, once I was stoned. Now, I've never been had a rock thrown at me. One time I was preaching in a town. It was youth service. And I said, I've never been stoned. And somebody in the front row said, I'm stoned right now. I said, that's not the kind of stone we're talking about. And I don't think Paul was saying that either. I've been in services, though, in Yugoslavia especially, when we've had bricks thrown through the window. Did we stop? No, we just kind of moved out of the way, and we just kept preaching. But here, these stones were actually thrown at him. And he said, I I suffered a shipwreck. And we know he did that outside of Malta. And a a night and a day, I was in the deep. He was in the water for, for a day and a night. And he says, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in dangers of robbers, if I could use that terminology, in dangers of my own countrymen, and in dangers by the heathen, in dangers in the city, Dangers in the wilderness and in dangers in the sea and the dangers among false brethren. And then he goes on to say, and we might be able to identify with this, in weariness and painfulness and the watchings often and in hunger and in thirst and in fastings often and in cold and nakedness. Besides these things that are without there cometh that from uh, upon me daily the care of all the churches. And so he carried a heavy burden. What is the point of what we're saying here today? Well, <clears throat> many times we carry a lot of heavy burdens as well. We may put ourselves in a prison mentally. We may get into a deep depression or we are around people who are in deep depression or have high levels of hostility. I thank God that we can come to church and we can leave a lot of things right here at the altar because the Lord is able to touch us and to remove these things and then to give us his joy in, in place of that kind of thing. But Paul, he didn't really focus on his sufferings. In fact, in Colossians, the first chapter, uh, verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Uh, I don't see too many people saying, oh, I just got hit with this horrible thing. I got this horrible thing that I'm trying to to work through. I just, you know, the writer says in James, count it all joy. How many times do we take the low road and and complain and say, "I, I don't know why this is happening to me. Well, why not you? If not you, why not me? I remember when our soldiers went to our our saints our military saints went to uh, 
to uh, the Gulf War the first time, and a lot of them were saying, why? Why, why me? And I remember Brother Brewster, who was a chaplain, one of our chaplains got up and spoke at one of our rallies, and he said, why not you? Why not us? Why not shoulder the responsibility of carrying a heavy burden? In fact, Paul rejoiced in these things. In Colossians, the first chapter, verse 24, he makes this statement. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. I fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. He said, whereof I've been made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And so when we are going through some things, could I tell you there are people out there who are watching us to see how we shoulder these things. I thank the Lord he's given us the power of the Holy Ghost to bear up under these heavy burdens. That if we can just rejoice in the midst of all these things and give God the glory and say, I don't know where I am, but the Lord knows the weight that I carry. Oh, hallelujah. And so he had his mind, his heart, and soul stayed on Jesus because he was representing him. He was a prisoner of Jesus. He was not a prisoner of the Jews. He, he was not a prisoner of the Romans. He was not a prisoner of the Gentiles, but really he was the prisoner of the King of Kings. And really we need perhaps to look at our lives more in relationship to him instead of our problems. And if we can do that, the Lord is there, an ever-present help in the time of need. Amen. So how did this prisoner react to all this suffering, this prisoner of Jesus? In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, if you could look with me there. He said, therefore, I want to give you three examples of how he looked at his sufferings. Maybe it's a good example for us when we have the hard times come to us. I don't think there's anybody here that has an easy time in life. Life has its own surprises. Some are good and some are not so good. But it's how we face that, face these things uh, in, in the matter of our walk with the Lord that will make a difference, not only in our lives, but those around us and those that are watching us. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You see, this particular book was written while Paul was a prisoner. In fact, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and also the book of Philemon, he was a prisoner when he wrote these books. And usually, if you get a letter from a prisoner and I've received a few, they're telling you their problems and what they have to, what they're trying to work through. But I want you to look at the Apostle Paul and uh, for an example of how he carried his burdens of suffering. He said, I beseech you, I plead with you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. He is asking us that we will be worthy to carry the burden 
or to carry whatever it is that we are. He said, with all loneliness. You see, a prisoner doesn't have much say. Uh, he, he, can, he can acquiesce and go along with the program, or he can fight against it. And, of course, those that fight against it end up in solitary and, and a few other nice things they have prepared. But Paul is saying we need to be a prisoner, to be like a prisoner, uh, when we're carrying these burdens, he said, in all loneliness, that doesn't mean a person who is walking around high and mighty. But these are examples for us to be lowly, to, be, to have meekness. Moses was the most the meek, meekest man in the world, but he was not weak, but he was meek. And with long suffering. How many has ever suffered a short period of time? Thank God it's only a short period of time. But then Paul is talking about suffering long. Lord, give me, the, uh, give me the ability to suffer long. We don't pray that way because we don't want to suffer. But it says forbearing one another in love. That comes right after long suffering. I don't know if the two are related, but uh, God has to help us all there sometimes too. But he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one wife. That's not in there. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. I don't see how you can get any more positive than what this prisoner is telling us in the midst of his suffering. Oh, God, help us to be able to carry our suffering uh, with, with a good measure of the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen to that? Amen. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, Paul speaking again, prisoner, writing from prison, and he makes the statement, Verse 7, I'll start with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well, this is a different kind of a person in the middle of prison saying rejoice. That means have joy. And not only have it once, but rejoice. Do, keep, keep praising God. Let your moderation be known to all men. For the Lord is at hand. Wait a minute, Paul. Aren't you in a prison? Yes, but you know what? Uh, the prison is all about them. I am about Jesus. And I'm going to give a witness, and I'm going to lift up the name of the Lord. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord's at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all the understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ, Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us to be able to rejoice when, when the suffering comes, when, when the pressures of life begin to hit us. Help us, Lord, to dwell on you and your glory and to know for the fact that you can carry us through all these things. Hallelujah. In Colossians, the first chapter, Another example where Paul, 
how he reacts to his sufferings. And I've read you his sufferings. And in, in verse 9 of the first chapter, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Being faithful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Paul had a real knack of putting words together, didn't he? But when he wrote these things, he was very sincere in speaking to the church at Colossae because he had learned something in his walk with God that circumstances cannot take away from us the things that God would have for you and for your family. If we will yield to him and pray and be thankful in all things, God is able to have the freedom to bless us and to keep us. Amen. Amen. He says, strengthen with all might. What that means with all power. We can still walk. We can still hold our heads up. I don't care what kind of suffering that we go through. He's speaking the truths of God when he speaks here. He says, uh, further on, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under the sun, uh, under heaven, whereof Paul, I am Paul, made a, a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Sometimes we will be going through things because somebody needs to see you suffer, to see how we respond. We don't ask for these things. You don't have to. I found out in life, and I've been around a few years now, that just wait, and some of these things will come knocking on the door. But when they do come, I think if we will do what the apostle did, is, is surrender to these things, not be sad, don't complain, don't be depressed in our minds, but not get into a prison of negatives, but re to rejoice and to be positive and strong in the faith. Thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we don't think about these things. And tonight I wanted to focus on the fact that here is a man who, whose liberties were constrained. He couldn't go where he wanted to go. In fact, it, the Roman system of security was they attached a soldier to him and supposedly for 24 hours every day. That happened for four years straight. I don't know if you had somebody hanging on you like that. You know, when the grandkids come and they're hanging on you, uh, they make you happy twice, you know, when they come and, and when they let go. <laughs> but to have somebody hanging on you for four years. But he took that as an opportunity. <laughs> he took it as an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And sometimes we get into situations where we, we want to move on, but the Lord has us there because he's brought somebody into your, into your focus where you can be a benefit to them. And the Lord goes a long way to save people because he loves us. 
He loves you. He loves the sinner. He loves those that don't even love him. That's why he went to Calvary, to shed his, his life and his blood that we can be cleansed from our sins and be redeemed. And so we have, we have the example of the Apostle Paul. I, I've always looked at this man, and I thought, I, I don't know if I could have even stayed up with him you know, with all of the things that he had did. But he, he rejoiced in his sufferings, and I pray to God that we, if times come in the history of our country in which we're moving towards some confluence of history in the future, I pray that God will give us strength to do the right thing. To stand for truth, to stand, to stand for the, the things of God. So things have changed so much in the last 10 years. I, I just can't believe it. But I do know this. God hasn't changed. And he's not going to change. That's why we need, amen. That's why we need to link up with him. And let him be the one that we are attached to. And let him be a part of what we do and what we say. And so I've given some examples here of how Paul, the prisoner, dealt with his suffering. And let me tell, talk to you about one more example. I've met prisoners in my lifetime, in fact, in Germany. I was able to be present when the prisoners came out of Iran. I think that was in 1981. In fact, it was January 2021. 20, they flew them out of Tehran, 50, 52 or 53 Americans. And I was there at the Rhine-Main Air Force Base in Frankfurt when they came off the plane. Vice President H.W. Bush was there to welcome them home. And uh, I, I had traveled in. We were living in the country of Luxembourg at the time. And I heard on the radio, the American station, that uh, the, the, um, the hostages or the prisoners were going to be released. In fact, at that moment, they were flying from Tehran to the air base in Frankfurt, Germany, called Rhein-Main Air Base. And uh, I had already gotten ready for bed, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to travel from the country of Luxembourg, and it's about a two-and-a-half, three-hour trip. And I said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to try to get on that base so I can see these prisoners uh, as they arrive. So I put on my suit and a tie, and uh, uh, got in my car and, and drove through the night and got there about 3 o'clock in the morning. Of course, the word was out that there were other people who wanted to see the prisoners come in too. And so when I got to the, to the entrance of the, um, the air base, uh, the cars were lined double-filed, double probably... Uh, uh, half a mile or so from the gate and everybody was trying to get in. I didn't have, all I had was a passport. I didn't have a military uh, ID card. But I kind of felt like the Lord wanted me there just to be able to see these fellows because we had prayed for them. 444 days they were at the mercy 
of, uh, of the Iranians. And so, as I inched closer to the gate, there was a military policeman, a special policeman from the Air Force, was asking uh, different people. He'd go to the windows and said, who are you, and, and uh, do you have a, an ID? And when he came to mine, by now I'm probably within three or 400 feet uh, of the gate. And uh, he said, who are you? I said, well, I'm an American citizen. I am also a preacher with the United Pentecostal Church, and our churches, our military churches, have been praying for these, for these prisoners, and uh, I would just like to be present when they, when they arrive. And he looked at me, and he says, well, what kind of identification do you have? I said, I have an American passport. Well, normally, they're not going to let you on base unless you have a, an ID card. And, of course, I didn't. But when I said that I'm a preacher with the United Pentecostal Church, <laughs> he stopped and he yelled ahead to somebody further closer to the gate. He said, let this man in. He's a Pentecostal preacher. I said, well, bless God. <laughs> That's all I needed. So I pulled out and when I got up there, he says, well, where's your identification? I said, I'm the Pentecostal preacher he was talking about. He said, oh, okay. Check my passport, and in, when I, in, in I went. And so they had, they had these banks of um, uh, lights, these, these huge lights set up to where you could actually see where the plane would be when it would arrive. And they had a rope where you had to stand. And so I was standing right up there as close as, as I could get. And pretty soon the dignitaries began to arrive. And then the plane came in. And there were about 2,000 Americans there. How I got in only had to be the Lord. And I give him the credit for that. Because we had really prayed for these people. Our different churches. And so... <clears throat> Finally, the plane arrived, and these huge lights were beaming their, their light on the plane, and, and then up drove the vice president, H.W. Uh, Bush, and then they set up a microphone where he could speak, and before the first one <clears throat> came down the ramp, uh, it was cold, by the way, and uh, he said, our people our home and a great <laughs> cheer went up because the prisoners had come home of course an American base or an embassy American embassy is considered American ground American uh, and so when they stepped onto the ground they, the door opened and they came down they were wrapped in these these blankets because they had come from Iran where it was very warm and where we were it was very cold and one by one, 52 or 53 of them came down that ramp. And they, you could tell that they were beaten down. They, they uh, were not, they, they didn't have good health or whatever. But every one of them had a beam on their face because freedom is something you can't put a price tag on. That's why when people come down here and pray and become free from their sins, there's no price tag that we personally can put on that. But Jesus already paid the price at Calvary. 
He gave his life that we might have life and that we could have our sins cleansed by his blood. Thank God that he also not just cleanses from his, our, our sins, but he put his authority, his power to live a, a, above sin into our hearts. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Every day we are a blessed people. And so I got to see these prisoners up close and I could see on their faces that there was a, a, thanks, a thankfulness that they were finally freed from the oppressions of, of what took place down there uh, in Iran. A little bit later on, <clears throat> our, our military were sent to the Gulf War, and uh, we did a lot of praying then. I had whole churches that were packed up and, and sent over there, and just the wives and the, and the kiddies were for the people who were left. You think the church didn't pray while these folks were gone? In fact, uh, in our church there in, in, in Lahnstuhl, Germany, we had a German pastor who their, their building was being renovated, so he asked if they couldn't uh, rent and, and use part of our building when we weren't using it. And so he started also attending our services. And uh, we, when we Pentecostals get together, we, we are very joyous. And I don't care what's going on around us or even inside of us. We know how to get a hold of God. And we were having anointed services like that. And this German pastor came up to me and he said, I, I, he said, you people just, I don't understand it. We are all concerned about what's going on over there. And we've got additional security measures that they even put on us here in Germany because there's so many Americans around us. But yet in this service and your services, you're just full of joy. And it's, it's like, like the Lord's coming down in your midst. And I said, that's exactly what's happening. You don't, don't have to be sad. You can rejoice in your sufferings. Paul gave us an example that we shouldn't be offset by uh, sufferings that come our way, but we need to give God glory in the middle of them. As James said, count it all joy. And so I heard that we had some POWs that were captured in Iraq. In fact, they made a wrong turn and drove right into an ambush. And 11 of them were killed. There were five taken prisoner. And uh, they, for three weeks, they moved them from building to building to building and trying to stay ahead of the Americans because Americans were really rolling up the rug there in Iraq. And of course, they went right into Baghdad. And eventually in April, uh, the, the military thing was all done. And they discovered these prisoners, of these American prisoners. And when they found them, a couple of them were wounded. And, of course, we were praying. And, again, I felt, I felt an ur urgency to try to be there when they got there. And so they flew them uh, from Iraq. They flew them to Ramstein Air Force Base, which is outside of... of uh, Frankfurt, or outside of uh, Lawnstool where we live. 
And then they took them to the American Hospital, which was just down the hill from where we had our church. And so I contacted the, the hospital chaplain, and I said, do you think it would be possible for me? You know, we have not because we don't ask. So I thought, why not ask? All they can do is say no. And even if they say no, God has a way <laughs> of making things happen. I learned uh, when I was district manager with Pepsi-Cola years ago, when you go out to sell product and people tell you no, well, by the time you get to the fifth no, they're about to say yes. So you just keep asking. And it's the same thing with God. If we don't get an answer, keep asking. Keep, ha keep the faith. Have faith that God knows the timing and when to make it happen. And so I... I uh, knew that they were up there in the hospital. I knew that they were going to be placed on television, be given an interview. And so I went up to the, to, the, um, to the hospital, and I went to the chaplain's office, and it was locked tighter than a barrel. And so it didn't look like I was going to be able to see these prisoners. And so I went to a little coffee shop that they had there, and I'm standing there. I got my coffee, and I stood in the hallway, and I'm drinking my coffee, and I look down the hall, and who's coming down the hall? Guess who? It's the prisoners, the American prisoners, uh, coming down the hall. And when they got to where I was, I stood up and I said, Welcome to America. I am Pastor Arlie Enos of the United Pentecostal Church. And uh, are you going to lunch? They said, Yes, we're going down to the hallway to the snack bar. I said, Good, I'll go with you and I'll buy your lunch. <laughs> and so I walked down the hallway with them. And when I said I was with the United Pentecostal Church, Edgar Hernandez spoke up and said, one of the prisoners, he said, my brother is United Pentecostal Church pastor in the state of Texas. See, I, under, I felt that same urgency to be there. I didn't know why. But here was one of our own apostolic Pentecostals coming out of Iraq after having having uh, been taken to prison, and when they, when they first got a hold of him, he asked, he asked the Iraqi guy, he said, are you going to kill me? And the guy said, no. He, he said, I didn't believe him. But, oh, did we have good fellowship while I talked to them and let him know that we have been praying for them. We need to pray for those that, that uh, are suffering. We need to be a little more aware of the fact that there are people right north of us here in Lebanon that God has them there so that Brother Parnell and the team can perhaps get them to a place where they can hear the gospel. You know, sometimes the Lord orders their steps and gets them there because he knows Brother Parnell and his team is going to show up. And many times he prepares their heart. And so as we sat there and we talked about... Uh, the fact that how God had taken care of them. Up, drove, uh, up came a gal in a wheelchair. Her name was Shoshana Johnson. And uh, she was wounded. She had been shot through both of her ankles. And if you've ever had an ankle pain, it's probably the worst thing, worse than a toothache. And she was in a wheelchair. And I went up to her and I said, Shoshana, we have been praying for you. I said, my church right down the, the road here has been praying for, for, for you. And she broke, 
broke out in tears and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I did not think that I was going to be able to live. But I'm telling you, God, well, I think the Lord had to really take care of those people because there was a Jesus name baptized apostolic Pentecostals right there in their midst. God knows where we are, and God can take care of us. Doesn't matter the circumstances. Don't let circumstances get you down. Don't let your sorrows get you down. That's why we need to rejoice in our sufferings. Paul gives us the example that we need to give thanks to be free like Paul, though he was a prisoner. My time is up. I've probably gone over a little time. Uh, I'm not here to set the church in order, but I just want us to be thankful that when the hard time comes, that's not the end of it. Many times that's only the beginning of it. That if we can just keep our focus on Jesus, doesn't matter what kind of sorrows come to us. Oh, hallelujah. He is there to lift us up. But we will, we will lift him up. He'll take us up with him. Oh, hallelujah. Could we stand right now, John, if you could give us a song here. I want us to know that in the midst of our sorrows, we can stand.